everyone. Thanks for joining us today. On behalf of the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education, I'd like to welcome you to the War Memorial Opera House and the San Francisco Ballet Meet the Artist program. My name is Cheryl Osula. I'm a writer for San Francisco Ballet and editor-in-chief of Dance Studio Life magazine. And I am very happy to be here today and to have as my guest, guest conductor David LaMarche from American Ballet Theater. Please welcome him. Thank you. I'd also like to welcome those of you who tune into these interviews via podcast at sfballet.org. If you are one of those future listeners, this interview is being recorded on Sunday, April 19th, 2015. So if you go to our website to listen to the podcast, you might as well spend some more time there. You'll find all kinds of good stuff casting information, dancer bios, the company's blog, Open Studio 455, uh, education events, all sorts of things. And if you would like more information about the Meet the Artist program right now, you can check out page 10 in your program book. So uh, a little bit of show and tell. We have a new art book this year. It's called The Lookbook. It's full of gorgeous dancer portraits taken by our resident photographer, Eric Thomason. And if you're interested, it is for sale in the ballet shop. So before we start our chat, I just want to tell you a little bit about our guest. Uh, David LaMarche began his music training at age 10 with piano lessons, and he majored in music at Boston University. His career in dance began here in San Francisco when he became an accompanist for dance classes. Later in New York City, he worked as a solo pianist and then as a pianist and conductor at Dance Theater of Harlem for 15 years. Along the way, he worked with Gerald Arpino at the Joffrey Ballet and did some cabaret gigs. And uh, then he joined American Ballet Theater as a rehearsal pianist and later became one of the staff of three conductors. Uh, he still performs, playing solo piano pieces uh, for that company's performances. And obviously, he does some guest conducting as well. So, David, if what I read in an online interview with you is correct, you had a little bit of an unconventional path to conducting. Um, what, I, what I read was that you were at Dance Theater of Harlem and the artistic director, Arthur Mitchell, suggested you try conducting. Yeah, uh, I was a piano major at Boston University and then when I graduated, I decided to move to San Francisco just for a, a life change, basically. This is the late 70s. Um, so I, I lived in San Francisco for about five years and that's where I started doing, uh, working with dancers, initially with dance classes at the old San Francisco Ballet out on, out on the avenues. And then I moved to New York in 1983 and, and uh, since I liked working with dancers, I sent resumes to all these dance companies. And Arthur Mitchell, who was then the director of Dance Theater of Harlem, invited me to come audition. I auditioned and I got a job as solo pianist and rehearsal pianist. And after I'd been there for about two years, he, um, he just came to me one day and he said, you seem to know the repertoire really well and I have um, a hunch that you would be good at conducting. So, uh, actually he had the hunch before I had the hunch, so that was, uh, and so he asked, he said, learn one score, which I did. 
And that went well, and then he started giving me more things to do, and uh, I discovered another thing that I really like to do, as well as play, which is conduct. Yeah. So did you just sort of learn on the fly, or did you actually, like, get yeah. any training? Uh, well, I had done some choral conducting, so I had a little training, and, um, uh, you know, when you're a musician, especially when you're a pianist, you have a lot of background to begin with, and then I did some private stud uh, studying with private teachers and that, so I sort of basically learned on my own, I would say, but with the help of some very important people along the way, yeah. So conducting for ballet, um, you know, is a different sort of beast than conducting when the only thing that's on stage, so to speak, is the music. So, um, you know, you have to accommodate the dancers at times, you have to maintain the integrity of the music. Can you talk just a little bit about that balancing act? Yeah. Um, people often ask, you know, do you follow the dancers? That's something somebody already, someone always asks about uh, working with dancers. And uh, what I always say is that yes and no. I mean, ideally, in the rehearsal process leading up to the performances, I try to uh, work with the dancers to establish tempos that work for them and that work for the music, so that when we get to the performance, going into it, we know what we're going to try to do. That's for most pieces, but then there are, you know, there are pieces where individual dancers do different things, like in a, in a classical ballet like Swan Lake or Giselle, different ballerinas will have different tempi. And uh, then you really have to be in the moment, sort of, and, and um, look a lot and try to gauge what's happening. And I think, still, it's a, it's a matter of the conductor actually leading rather than following. You're being sensitive to the dancer, but in a way, you, what you're giving is a musical foundation that the dancer uh, is able to dance around, so, yeah. That's that makes sense. Give them some leeway within reason, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're just joining us, I'm chatting with guest conductor David LaMarche. So, since Shostakovich is the composer du jour today, yeah. oh, that's redundant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like this is du jour. <laughs> I wanted to ask if you remembered your first exposure to Shostakovich and what your reaction to it was. Wow, I have to think about this. Uh, well, the first piece by Shostakovich that I ever conducted was his second piano concerto, not the one you're going to hear this afternoon, but the second one, which is also a very, it's a great piece, beautiful, beautiful lyrical second movement that he dedicated to his son, Maxime, and uh, that was my first exposure to Shostakovich, and it was positive because I liked the piece a lot. Uh, since then, I've conducted several pieces by him, and uh, I'm continually impressed by his talents and by his ability to synthesize different styles of music into a whole, which you'll hear a lot this afternoon, too. Yeah. Had you, had you played any Shostakovich as a student? As a student, piano? yeah. Uh, I played some of the... He has 24 preludes and fugues for piano that are similar, well, you know, sort of based on box. And um, I played some of those and little pieces. Worked on some of the concerti, but not ever performed them, actually. Yes. So Shostakovich Trilogy was created at ABT a, a few years ago, and of course you were there, you were part of the process. So I wondered if you could just share some of your experiences in bringing it to the stage. 
Oh yeah. Well, you know, originally, uh, originally Alexei Radmansky was going to choreograph the first symphony of Shostakovich. Ah, he was going to do the Ninth Symphony, the Chamber Symphony, and not the Piano Concerto, but the but the first symphony. And then somewhere along the way, he dropped that because he just felt it was too challenging, uh, and he didn't have enough time. I think. So then he added the uh, first piano concerto. But all these pieces were created separately, uh, although there are some choreographic um, motifs and gestures that are common in all of them. Um, just in general, I don't know, I've worked with Alexei Ratmansky a lot, and he, I just have to say that he's one of the uh, most pleasant and focused choreographers that I've ever had the pleasure to work with. He's extremely musical. He knows what he wants. Um, he asks a lot of the dancers, but um, he's very respectful of them also. So it's a pleasure to work with him, actually. Yeah. So obviously you had some time in the studio during the rehearsal process and what, talk a little bit about what your role would be in such a situation. Right, so um, generally speaking, you know, we have a rehearsal pianist who learns the score and then uh, plays it in rehearsals. And at some point during the rehearsal process, if it's a new piece, the conductor will come in fairly early in the rehearsal process just to make sure that um, perhaps the tempi that are being used are ones that are good for the music and collaborate, you know, talk to the choreographer. So that's what I did. And, um, uh, and then later in the process, as it get, got, got towards the end of the, of the ballet, we'd be at every rehearsal just conducting to give some um, uh, continuity to the rehearsals and all that. It's basically what I did anyway. So, you know, just during the rehearsal process as you're watching this piece come together, um, any, any impressions on the way Alexei uses music and movement, his integration of them? Like you say, he is very musical, but, you know, he's, he's what, what the dancers often refer to as a, his choreography is very dense. You know, it, the, he packs the steps in. There's a lot going on. So how, how, is, how does that relate to him in terms of musicality? Oh, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, a lot of times when a choreographer packs it in, like you just said, uh, it actually becomes difficult, more difficult for the conductor or the musician because the more steps you have and the more difficult they are, the more time you need sometimes to, in, order to, uh, in order to do them. And a lot of times what happens is then the choreographer will turn to the conductor and say, oh, can you make that tempo slower? Because we have so much to do, you know? And so that's a, <clears throat> I'll say discussion or sometimes argument that we often have. Um, yeah, but he's, but as I say, he's very respectful. So uh, that didn't turn out to be a, a huge problem. And uh, I had a friend actually saw this program the other night and she said, oh, you know, she said, uh, he's not like Balanchine in that the music always fits to the steps. And I found that interesting because I think he is very musical, although uh, he's also very pict pictorial. So there are a lot of images, I think, right, that are sort of woven around the music instead of exactly, you know, right on top of it, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you're just coming in, I'm in conversation with guest conductor David LaMarche. So one of the things I was I was watching the other night, just really focusing on the music, and and it's this music is is so um, it has such depth. There's just in terms of tone, in terms of tempo, certainly, um, and it's full of surprises. So what what can you tell the audience about 
uh, Shostakovich in general, if that's appropriate, or this music in particular that might enhance what they see today? Yeah. Uh, I'll try to be brief because there are three pieces and they all, you could do a, you could do a whole, you could do a half an hour on each piece actually, but, um, you know, the Ninth Symphony uh, was supposed to be a celebratory piece after the Red Army defeated the Nazis and so I think that Shostakovich initially thought he was going to um, pay homage to Stalin and then somewhere along the way I think he thought better of it. So. Uh, because he'd had a rough time, and you know, he was Chazdakovich was alternately embraced and rejected by the government. So uh, I think then he finally decided it wasn't going to be a 100% sincere piece of music. So it's a great piece of music, but you get the idea that a lot of it is um, tongue-in-cheek, which it is. It certainly is. You'll hear that, and um, like he uses traditional instruments that would be used in a military band, like a piccolo and snare drum and all that, but. Not in a very sincere way, I would say, more in a sarcastic way, probably. Um, so that makes the uh, Ninth Symphony interesting. The second piece, the Chamber Symphony, is in a way the most serious and most profound piece. So he dedicated it to victims of, in memory of the victims of fascism and war. And the fact that he includes in the piece several quotations from some of his earlier works, and that he also uses his musical uh, signature, D-S-C-H, um, the letters D-S-C-H, which translate to four notes, a four-note theme which he uses in the piece a lot, sort of suggests that um, he identifies with the victims of fascism and war, and that he considered himself a victim also. Um, it's a very, very beautiful, beautiful piece. And the last piece, the piano concerto, as you notice uh, more than the others even, that Shostakovich um, borrowed from different kinds of music, and as I said before, synthesized them almost like a like a musical magpie or something. Um, and you'll notice there's like, especially in the outer movements, there are uh, very swift changes between styles of music and tempi. And I think it's partly because uh, I think one thing that informed this was that Shostakovich worked as a as a pianist for silent films, and so he was used to having to change on a dime, you know, the style and, the, and according to what was going on in the screen. So that sort of informs his um, composition also. Yeah. That totally sounds like what's going on at oh. the end of Piano Concerto. Right, yeah. So one of the things we've kind of glossed over, but you know, Shostakovich was in, in Stalin era Russia, a time when people, artists were being very oppressed. Uh, there's a lot of that being expressed in these ballets. And I just wondered, um, you know, what about the sequencing of these? Uh, Symphony Number no. 9 um, really sets up this idea of, of oppression and fear and, and, and looking over your shoulder all the time. And that, that is a perfect lead into Chamber Symphony, which is uh, basically an autobiographical type of piece. Um, or biographical in, in Alexei's hands, but it, it really sort of tells a little bit about Shostakovich's life. And then, and then we sort of return to that idea of persecution, but then get that thumbing of the nose going on. So musically, it seems like he's, he's created this whole structure that supports the ballet in a really brilliant way. Mm -hmm. but, but I wondered how, how much is the music actually doing that? 
Oh, just just if you took the three pieces by themselves, you mean without the choreographic overlay and and they do complement each other, and I think it's I think it's arranged nicely because the the deepest and most profound part of the trilogy is in the center, and also the most uh, blatantly um, descriptive because you know it's the Shostakovich supposed to be Shostakovich and his relationships with his three wives. It's very evident from what you see on the stage. Um, you know, I think it's I think it's I think it works out perfectly. Uh, the piano concerto is a great ender because it's like burlesque, you know, and uh, it's very up. And uh, in a way, it's the most accessible, I think. Even though all the pieces are accessible, I think the concerto is the most. And so it actually, in the traditional, uh, in the traditional quote-unquote menu that Balanchine said, you should have an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert. And that's definitely a good dessert. So, yeah. That's, that's a good description. So, are there are there any particulars about approaching this music as a conductor? Are there are there certain places where you need to really focus on certain things? Um, just any details about, you know, that kind of magic you do in the pit there? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. It's they're challenging. Certainly, um, the Ninth Symphony has some challenges in terms of meter changes and. Uh, ensemble issues and things like that. Um, uh, but that's just stuff that you, you know, have to deal with. Uh, in terms of interpretation, yeah, I mean, I think the Chamber Symphony, you really have, the Chamber Symphony was originally a string quartet, by the way. So it was enlarged into a, by Rudolf Barshai into a, a string symphony. Um, yeah, that's the one where I think, you know, you really have to call on your um, deepest feelings and connection with the music in order to make it work. And then the piano concerto, piano concerto by the way, you'll hear one of the company pianists play it this afternoon is uh, incredibly uh, difficult. Um, what I mentioned before about styles and changing and stuff like that, the pianist has to, basically it's the pianist that has to do that. And so you'll hear a lot of this sort of crazy stuff going on, especially in the last movement. And she does a great job, so, yeah. Well, and that's a piano concerto, but there's a lot going on between p the piano and the trumpet in right. that. Right, I neglected to mention, it's an unusual concerto because it's written only for strings, trumpet, and piano. I think Shostakovich originally intended it to be a trumpet concerto. Hmm. Then he decided to make one for piano and trumpet, yeah. So, so you mentioned, you know, the, the signature DSCH uh, translated into notes, um, which is, you'll hear it in the Chamber Symphony, it's over and over and over again, it's very noticeable. Um, is that something that, that composers do a lot? Or uh, ex maybe explain a little bit about what that means. Yeah, uh, some composers, I mean, uh, I think Bach most definitely did it. I think it's just a way of, uh, well, on a very practical level, I hate to be this mundane, but on a very practical level, it's a way of coming up with a theme that's, <laughs> that's probably easy, you know? And it also is, it's like a musical signature embedded in the work, which is a nice thing always. Uh, yeah, no, that, uh, that definitely, I mean, and Shostakovich revered Bach, so I think that in a way is why he also chose to represent himself that way, yeah. And, and I think in Chamber Symphony, he, he quotes his own work more than he quotes himself anywhere else, right? Yeah. And that is, is, that's part of what makes this more personal and 
suitable to be kind of his little story in 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 Alexei's hands. Yeah, yeah. Um, you'll see the the um, which movement is it? It's the uh, fourth movement of the Chamber Symphony. Um, is entirely, well, actually the whole chamber symphony is entirely in minor, except for this one section of the fourth movement, which is a quotation from his opera, Lady Macbeth of Mensch, Mitzensk, however you say that. Um, it's in major. And um, the effect is just, after all this sort of, you know, minor mode music, the effect is uh, incredibly moving, I think. It's a solo cello line over a sort of a, uh, string cushion, you know, so um, it's very beautiful. It comes at a time in the piece when you really need something like that, too. Yeah. I'll definitely listen for that. We're going to open this up to your questions in just a moment, but I do have to ask you one more thing because Martin West told me I should. Um, he wants me to ask you which orchestra you like better, American Ballet Theater or San Francisco Ballet? This is funny because uh, I was here probably four or five years ago and Martin and I did one of these talks together somewhere. It wasn't here, it was out there somewhere. And uh, a guy raised his hand and said, which orchestra do you like better, the San Francisco Ballet or APT? And at the time I thought, oh my God, what? I didn't know how to answer that on the spot, you know? Uh, but since then I thought of a good response, which doesn't really answer the question. It was, my response is, yeah, right. My response is, that's like asking, who do you like better, your wife or your mistress? <laughs> well, that's my answer to that. <laughs> An excellent answer. Um, okay, so I'm going to open this up to questions, and I would just like to say, please be brief, one question per person, and speak up. Oh, Are, sorry. Uh, you have to answer, the, restate the question. Oh, sorry. so uh, the gentleman asked, am I conducting all the performances of the trilogy? And the answer is no. Um, the way Martin and I split it up is that we split the performances of the trilogy. I do some and he does some. Uh, but what we do the whole evening. And then the other, pro I'm here for program seven too. And on that program, I'm just doing the four temperaments. So, yeah. Yes. Okay, this, so this is about the the this is about the DSCH and and what they translate to. Right. Well, D is D. Uh, DSS is E flat. Yeah. C is C, and actually H in this case is B natural. So yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she's asking, uh, did I have any special memories about my time out when the ballet was out on the avenues? And, um, well, I was young, and, <laughs> yeah, that was a long time ago. And uh, uh, it was my, I had just started playing for dance classes, and I got this job out there. And uh, it was my introduction to the ballet world, and um, I remember one day, it was a Saturday, and they were having company class, uh, with one of their guest teachers, I guess. They had great guest teachers, Tatiana Grantseva and um, this Terry Westmoreland, this guy. Anyway, and Eric Brune, he was a guest teacher. Um, and there was the company, and the San Francisco Ballet Company at that time, of course, was quite different, 
but I had these incredible dancers with all different kinds of bodies and, you know. And uh, I watched company class and I, I remember, it's still to this day, I think that is the day that I thought, I think this is a profession that I would like to actually get into. Yeah. I'm glad we can take credit for that. <laughs> hey, exactly. Uh, yes. I have a question um, possibly just for performance, but about conducting in general um, for ballet. Um, many years ago, in the late 50s, in London, I was lucky to attend a rehearsal where the blind conductor of the folk world at that time was really ruling everybody. And the Cleveland monitor who was rehearsing uh, had to listen to him, and he was trained not on on the street or something like that. Oh, right. The question is generally just about working with dancers and, and, and the kinds of problems that might come up in trying to negotiate that turf. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it comes up a lot, actually. Uh, well, for instance, at ABT, you know, we have the regular the dancers that are with the company all the time. And then we have dancers that come as guests in the summer. And these are usually big stars from other companies. And so that's a little more difficult uh, because they don't have much time to get into the swing of things. Exactly. So in that case, it becomes us. It's more of a compromise. I'll just put it that way. Um, you know, I try never to get into arguments, but every now and then, you just have to. And uh, it's unpleasant, but you know, I guess it's good if you learn something from it. Um, it depends on what, I mean, I'll just give you, I won't be long here, but uh, for instance, like there's uh, Diana Vishneva, who's a big uh, Russian ballet star who works with ABT. And I had a very difficult time in the rehearsal process, not so much because of her, but because she's very demanding and knows exactly, so she has an interpretation that she wants to do. This is in Giselle. And I felt it was t I sh that she was exerting too much control. So I sort of uh, balked at that. And uh, it was a difficult rehearsal period, but I have to say that in the end, her performance was uh, was kind of an incredible performance because she th had thought about it so much and how she wanted to interpret it. And that's a good thing, actually, so, yeah. yeah. I think we have time for one more. Well, oh yeah, uh, let's see. Hang on, hang on. Do you play any instruments oh, besides piano? Yeah. <laughs> I studied the violin. Notice I said studied. <laughs> no, and I, do, I did get to sort of a beginner level, but uh, that's the only other instrument that I'm even somewhat proficient at, actually, yeah. Didn't you want to play the clarinet when you oh, were a kid? She knows everything about me, yeah. When my father asked me when I was 10 years old, did I want to play an instrument, I said clarinet. And he said, okay, well, we start on piano and then we'll see what happens after that. And I just stuck with piano. Yeah. All right, I think we can do one more. So she's wondering just about the difference for the dancers uh, between performing to live music versus recordings. Yeah, uh, I think in general, uh, dancers would prefer to have live music 
it's more exciting, even though it can be a little bit different every night and it, things can go wrong, obviously, because it's, we're human beings. But uh, the only, I mean, the only thing that's probably perhaps comforting, let's just say, about using tapes is that uh, you know what you're going to get every night. But ultimately, that's not a good thing because then you don't grow as artists because you're, you're just doing the same, basically responding the same way every night too, I think, so, yeah. All right, we are out of time and we have to give uh, David time to go backstage and get changed because he's gonna be conducting today. So thank you all for being here. Thank you yeah, very thank you. much, David.